Empire. Triple Play Fantasy's basketball show with Doc, Coach, and Brass Dadamas starts now. We welcome in a man who, in his words, is a premier name in the world of basketball. In college, he was a Naismith Player of the Year award winner, NCAA champion, Wooden Award winner, NABC Player of the Year, among others. In the pros, he was a two-time NBA All-Star, 1998 NBA Sixth Man of the Year, and scored a smooth 12,367 points over his 15-year career. The man who likes to wear a three-piece on ESPN, a man who has seen basketball from all angles as a player, coach, and analyst. He was the first Manning to be selected number one. You hear that, Peyton and Eli? The only guy I know who got a free hat from Waffle House. We welcome in Danny Manning. What's going on? Hey, you guys. How's everybody doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. It is a pleasure to have you on. And I want the audience to know, we were originally scheduled for April, but you accepted <laughs> the head or the assistant coach for Maryland that day. And understandably, we had to reschedule. But I want to first congratulate you on that position. Maryland is a very prestigious program. And as Maryland residents, we are so happy that you'll be coaching a school that we love. I'm excited. You know, it's a great opportunity for me to, to get reconnected with uh, Turge. You know, we went to school together, played three years and um, you know in this profession you spend so much time on your job and for me to, to be able to work with somebody I know I love and trust and, and believe in and, and move into an area that um, I'm excited about taking in and being a part of so this is a win-win all the way across and uh, I'm just excited and, and feel very fortunate and blessed. With your uh, connection does that make uh, this this transition like easier um, the doors have opened up. You got players like Julian Reese and Ike Cornish. They're running fives with the team. What's the outlook of uh, Maryland basketball and your first impressions of uh, some of the new guys in the roster? Well, I'm excited. You know, I think we have some very talented young men on our basketball team, but it is the summer. And so, you know, we've got a long <laughs> ways to go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're, we're starting to, to put everything in place in terms of the foundation with the new guys. We've got a a nice solid nucleus of returning players that are doing a great job of showing leadership and, and helping Ike and helping Juju as they, they take their first steps on campus. And we just want them to continue to be leaders, show the way and, you know, get on the court and compete and then off the court, handle yourself accordingly. And um, everything else is all good. I just want to run through a brick wall after hearing that, but Danny, we didn't bring you on to talk about your, your time as an assistant coach or your future time. We brought you on to talk about you. And what I like to do is start with the early years. Now, you did quite a lot of moving in your childhood. You were born in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, but would live in a few different areas. And one of these stops was Greenboro, North Carolina. You played high school ball at Page High School, where you averaged 18.8 points per game, nine rebounds, leading the Pirates to an undefeated 26-0 record and winning the state title. Rather than deciding to run it back, you moved to Kansas and attended Lawrence High School your senior year. And Danny, you come from a family of athletics. You live, sweat, 
and breathed basketball since you were born. Your father, Ed Manning, was a journeyman and played for the Baltimore Bullets for the three, first three years of your life, as well as a professional college coach. And he was actually hired as an assistant coach at Kansas in 1983 under Larry Brown, which explained the move for you. Now, I think the majority of us can't relate to having a parent who is a professional athlete. And I imagine having a dad who was involved in sports is exciting, yet can be stressful as a kid. It seemed like you did more moving than most kids do. Is that something you got accustomed to? Like when you moved to a new area, was your focus on making friends or on basketball? Um, to be honest with you, my focus was always on family because we were the only ones in, in regards to whatever city we went to, we were all we had to a certain extent. You know, we go to school and you make friends, you play on different teams and you make friends. But at the end of the day, you know, I go home and it's my sister, it's my mom, it's my dad. And, you know, we're just trying to, be the best family that we can possibly be. I do think moving around helped me make adjustments um, a lot quicker than a lot of other kids my age uh, and put myself in a situation where I, I, I had to put myself out there to go make friends. You know, you go into a new school, a different environment, and there's, you know, you got cliques, you got different groups. And so, you know, putting myself in a situation of, hey, my name is Danny. I'd like to meet you. You know, let's hang out or, or whatever it is. You know, that was hard to do at times because sometimes the groups didn't want you. And um, so, you know, it, it took a time for me to kind of figure out how I wanted to move and how I wanted to navigate and who I wanted to hang out with. But once I was able to figure that out, it, um, it all worked out well for me. But it all rooted back to family and basketball. And, um, you know, for me, you know, a lot of places that I moved that the basketball is my best friend. I go out, I find a hoop, and, and that's all I needed. And, and so for me, very fortunate to have those experiences. But I do think it, it, it put me in a situation to, to step outside of my comfort zone as a young person to develop um, the, the characteristics and the habits of, of going out and, and introducing yourself and trying to meet different people. I'm sure if any friend groups turned you down, that's probably one of the biggest regrets they have in life. They tell their kids, I was almost friends with Danny Manning. I actually shot him down, but you should have hung out with the new kid. <laughs> you chose to stay in state and attend the university of Kansas. And you had career averages of 20 points, eight rebounds per game. And Danny, your senior year went about as well as one could be. You led the underdog Jayhawks who went 21 and 11 in the regular season to the national championship in 1988 with 31 points, 18 rebounds, five steals, and two blocks. This team was known as Danny and the Miracles, as you non-surprisingly won most outstanding player of the year in the tournament. If that wasn't enough, you finished as the all-time leading scorer in the Big 8 Conference history with 2,951 points. You had to create a little more room on that mantle as you won the Wooden, Naismith, and Eastman Awards that same year. And even 30-plus years later, sports fans don't forget how impressive your career was. In April 2020, the Sporting News deemed you the second-best player all-time since the NCAA bracket expanded. But I know Brad has a question about your recruitment process. I, I did. You know, as somebody who was both highly recruited and a coach at a D1 school, you've been on both sides of the recruiting trail. How would you change the recruiting process to make it better for either side? Um, Brad, that's a good question. I, I think we're just in a different era. You know, when I was being mm -hmm. recruited, um, you get a phone call once, once a week, twice a week, you, you know, that, that'd be about the extent of it. Um, and then also, you know, you're on the phones. And so 
I'm going to date myself with this one, but there was no call waiting. There was no, <laughs> you know, it was like, get, get off the phone, Danny, or we might, we're expecting a call from somebody. And so it was always a quick phone call. I think in today's era, the amount of uh, attention that our young people um, have placed upon them creates a lot of different stress. And I also think the, the social media piece keep, creates a lot of different anxiety for a lot of these young people as well. So, you know, for me, I enjoyed the recruiting process. Um, not a big talker at the time. And so not having that access um, to the different coaches was good for me. Um, but in this day and age, you know, you've got to be able to reach out and, and touch all the kids that you're recruiting. And not just the kids. you got to hit the high school coach. you got to hit the AAU coach. you got to hit the workout guy. you got to get to the school and figure out, you know, the, the, the guidance counselor, the principal. And so there's so many different people that you need to touch in the recruiting world today. And that makes it uh, exhausting at times, just to be honest with you, because for me mm -hmm. going through it, it was – you know, my high school coach fielded some calls and it was just my, my family. And, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, I'm fortunate enough to have wonderful parents and a supportive family. And, you know, we made the decision that we thought was best for us. And, and so it's changed a lot, to be honest with you. And it, and it continues to evolve. And it's just finding different ways to connect to the young people and, and build a relationship. You swayed me. I'm not a recruit, but uh, you, you won me over. <laughs> Now, going back to your playing days, Danny, I honestly can't think of anything that would have made your draft stock higher. And you were the number one pick, no brainer for the Clippers. And 26 games into your career, you show you belong, averaging close to 20, averaging close to 17 points and 6.5 rebounds per game, two steals and a block. You did it all. And unfortunately, you tore your ACL and would miss the rest of the season. And you would come back strong and play 71 games, averaging 32 minutes the following season. And You'd have a good remaining four and a half years in L.A., averaging 20 points in back-to-back -back seasons and a couple all-star all appearances. You were then traded to the Hawks for the rest of the 93-94 season, but I know Brad had another question about your time with the first organization. Yeah, man, I, I've heard some horror stories about what it was like to be part of that Clippers ownership early on, you know, as far as, like, guys not getting paid on time and the like, you know. What were some of the things that you thought was normal NBA culture until you got traded to a different organization? Well, you know, for me, Brad, I, I had the, I had my father in my back pocket. You know, he played professional mm -hmm. basketball in the NBA and ABA. And, you know, he, he told me very early, nothing's normal. Nothing mm -hmm. to surprise you. You know, you're going to run across a whole bunch of different scenarios and situations and you just need to handle them as best you can and as calmly as you can. And so for me, mm -hmm. getting drafted by the L.A. Clippers, I'm playing in the NBA. You know, that's bottom line. I get a chance to play in the NBA, which was a goal, a lifelong goal. And to be able to get to that level was very fortunate, very blessed. I was excited. And I just wanted to show that I belong, that I could hold my own, that I could help my team be successful. And so for me, um, playing for Donald Sterling, um, I'm just going to say he was a very um, – unique individual and, and, and I'll, I'll leave it at that and, um, you know, it's you very can, diplomatic of you yeah. <laughs> you, you can go from there with uh whatever other adjective that you like what you about him. i'm just gonna say he's unique dude. that's classy yeah, yeah no and and um, you know, you'd finish your career as a part-time player with the Suns, winning the 1998 Sixth Man of the Year before stints with the Bucks, Jazz, Mavericks, and Pistons. And Danny, you're the only NBA player in NBA history 
to return after three ACL surgeries, which I just think just shows the work ethic, the dedication and the love for basketball that you have. And, you know, it's, it's not something that, you know, you want to be a part of, but I think it just shows once again, your work ethic, even just talking with you so far, I can tell how much basketball has meant to you. Now, well, coach, Danny, has- Danny, what was that like, by the way? Cause you know, at that time, you know, ACL injuries, they could be a career ender. And, you know, now, nowadays, you know, that you're out for a year or so and you can get back to your normal self after a lot of hard work. But what was it like back then going through those those ACL surgeries, not once, but three times? Well, the first time I went through it, my rookie year, um, we were in Milwaukee. I was on a fast break situation out ahead of the pack. I caught the ball over my shoulder and hyperextended my right leg, which I've done many times before. And I didn't think much of it, except it felt a little bit different. And um, get back to the hotel. Actually, I think I went out to eat that night trying to talk myself into, oh, you, you, you'll be okay. You know, you'll be all right. right. And so we get back to L.A. and we go get images taken. And um, I find out that I, I've torn my ACL. And that was a very um, disappointing thing to hear. But fortunately for me, during my four years at Kansas, I had a teammate named Archie Marshall that blew his knee out. And so I knew it was possible to come back from that injury because I saw Archie do it. Mm -hmm. um, the doctor I had was Dr. Stephen Lombardo, Curlin and Joe facility. He performed all three of my surgeries. And, you know, he told me, he said, Danny, this is what I can do. I can prepare your injury. I can make sure that the graft is tight, but you got to do the rest. You got to rehab. You got to, you got to grind. You got to, go through some discomfort if you want to get back to this level, but it's certainly possible. And that's all I wanted to hear. I had an opportunity. And so for me, 11 months after the surgery, I mean, yeah, after the surgery, I'm able to get back out on the court and felt very fortunate and blessed. The second time I blew it out, it was kind of a, okay, I've done this before. I know what I got to do. So the first time was probably the most um, challenging time because I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. You know, Bernard King was in the midst of his comeback. And so he was somebody that I looked up to. And so I'm able to come back from that first one. The second one was like, all right, I know what I got to do. And the third one was just like, this is old hat. You know, it sucks. Mm -hmm. I got to go through this again, but I know I can come back from it. And the whole time, my fallback plan as a basketball player was, well, I might not be as quick. I might not, I'll lose my, some athleticism but I have to have great anticipation. So how do I create anticipation? It's I become a student of the game. I study my opponents. I, I know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at USA today. I'm reading who had a good game, who had a bad game. I had a book, uh, a scout book of each league and every player in that league. And I would add my notes to it and be able to have a really good understanding of who I was going up against. And so that was something that really helped me. And just, Great doctors like Dr. Lombardo, but great therapists, great friends to motivate me. Obviously, my family and my kids, very supportive. And I was stubborn. I didn't want to give the game up. And, and I wanted to find a way to be a part of it and continue to be a part of it. And um, I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to do that. But I didn't do it by myself. I had a lot of wonderful people in my corner. And I love what you said of I have to work on anticipation. I think people forget this is before video is readily accessible and before YouTube and you can just look up film. I mean, you really have to put in the work. 
James had a question he wanted to touch on about some of the great coaches that you've played for. That's funny. And I'm sure Dr. Lombardo's getting a Christmas card every year now. I mean, performing three <laughs> surgeries. I, I tore my ACL and um, I, I still rem- remember my doctor. I'm hoping it doesn't happen again. Um, but that just shows how, you know, how much your brain is involved into the game. And speaking about great minds, uh, you played under some great head coaches, starting with your uh, early basketball career under Larry Brown at Kansas, uh, the late John Thompson playing for Team USA in the 1988 Olympics. I mean, what a great experience. You win a championship, you go to the Olympics, and then you get drafted number one overall. You also played under Lenny Wilkins, George Carl, Rick Carlisle, Jerry Sloan, Don Nelson, to coaching with Bill Self at, at Kansas. How did some of those coaches influence your coaching when it was your turn to be coach, as well as the game in which you played? Well, for me, three three people had the biggest impact on my philosophy as, as a coach. Uh, one was my father, who was my first coach. He was my biggest critic. He was my biggest fan. He introduced me to the game, and I developed an appreciation for the little things because that's who he was as a basketball player. He had to set picks. He had to dive on the floor for loose balls. He had to get the ball to the right teammate, and he had to play defense and things of that nature. So I appreciated those things early on. Larry Brown made me a better person. He made me a better basketball player and prepared me for everything that I went through during our time at Kansas. And so having that experience with those two um, is something that I lean on all the time. And then breaking into the profession with Bill Self. I'm spending time with him, learning how to recruit, learning how to treat people, how to put together your team. Those three guys had the biggest impact on my philosophy but everyone has contributed to it. And there have been some coaches that, you know what, I don't like that and I'm not going to use that. But it still contributed to my mindset and how I thought. And so I've been very fortunate. Like that list is, is something that, you know, I think about from time to time and the impact and, and some of the different sands that Coach Thompson had, that Lenny Wilkins had, that, you know, Coach Carlisle had, you know, so many different coaches and different philosophies for me. And so I, I just had a chance to kind of pick. I like this. Let me let me take this. Let me grab this. I don't like this. I'm not going to use it and kind of go from there. And then, you know, when I was at Wake Forest, I had a chance to hire my son on my staff. And, and he's someone that um, has helped me out a great deal as well, because, you know, at my age, he's a little bit closer to the age of the the players that I'm coaching. <laughs> and so, you know, there's some things that I say, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And he looks at me and goes, Dad, nobody wants to do that anymore. That's old. And he <laughs> call you a boomer. Like, okay, all right, I need to learn. Help me out. <laughs> and so, you know, having him around, just that different set of eyes, that different set of uh, the mindset was, was very helpful. And so for me, I learned that I need to be a really good listener as a coach. Um, and, and, and you take it all in and you kind of digest it and then you kind of put together a game plan and, and you go from there. I love it. And, and I think a lot of coaches kind of have like, I've gotten to this point. I, I know what I'm doing and I love that you're very receptive. Danny, I want to finish on your playing career. Do you know your career high in the NBA? Uh, I want to say it was 40 something. Uh, it is in the forties. Okay, yeah. 43 at the Bulls. On December seventh, nineteen ninety three. So I mean that's that's a really good game. But even though your playing career ended in two thousand three, as mentioned, you still stayed in the basketball community as you served for four years at the University of Kansas as director of student athlete uh, development and team manager. 
you'd be promoted to assistant coach before getting your first head coaching position at Tulsa in 2012. You then had a stint with Wake Forest for six seasons. You were recently a color commentator for Westwood One's radio for the 2021 NCAA tournament. Now you're an assistant coach with the Terps, so you are just still in with the game that you love. And I'm just glad. You just can't quit it. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) That day's going to come, though. It's going to come, but not not quite yet. I don't don't believe it. Yeah, I believe it when I see it. (laughs) We're talking with Danny Manning. Basketball extraordinaire, player, coach, analyst. Danny, we like to get our guests out of here with a little triple play rapid fire, some this or that. You probably haven't been asked some of these questions before. Are you game? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. Would you rather win an NBA champion as the sixth man or win an NCAA championship as an assistant coach? I would say I would like the experience of an NBA championship. I was fortunate enough to to have a college one. So okay. I, I would have enjoyed that experience. All right. Which jersey did you like better visually? Doesn't mean when you were wearing them. The Clippers red or the Suns purple? Suns purple. Okay. Mm. That, that, that's, that's the good Just answer. Classic. <laughs> would you rather never get a paper cut again? Or never get anything stuck in your teeth again? Uh, stuck in my teeth. Yeah, I can deal with a paper cut. I, mean, I was going to say, I feel I'm like they're nothing in floss. terms of the ACL. I got a floss, man. So I'm, I'm hey, 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 Danny, do you like those uh, Valley jerseys that the Suns are sporting right now? You know what? I, no, they're not. They got to grow on me a little bit more. I'm not quite feeling those. I, I, like, the, I like the orange ones. Those were different. We didn't play in orange, but you know, to me, the the purple and the black and the white ones were the ones that we played in when I was with the Suns. Okay, okay. What is the greatest trading card you put on the spokes of your bike that you regret? You know what? I had so many baseball cards. You know, I just I just kicked myself from time to time because I had some really good ones. I mean, I collected baseball cards growing up. Not you know, you had some football, you had a little bit of basketball, but it was more so baseball. And so for me, I, you know, I go back and think about the guys I like watching. Um, you know, I think I, I put a Bob Gibson in there one time. Oh, like, no. Yeah, I was like thinking, right? Like, Ooh. classic. And, and, and Hammer and Hank, I have one of those. And wow. So, uh, don't, don't tell me you put a Mickey Mantle on there. No, I didn't have a Mickey Mantle. On. No, I, I didn't have that. But, I mean, you know, those, that's what you did. You know, you put those on yeah. your, your bikes and you, you got that spattering noise as you were turning those spokes. <laughs> Yeah, I heard you talking about that. I thought that was uh, really cool. But what did it feel like to for you to see yourself on a playing card? You know what? Uh, we had some – Coach Brown had some playing cards made of us, Our I think, our senior year. So it was kind of neat to kind of see it. That's but a good to, idea. To know that it was part of someone's business, someone's kind of livelihood to make those cards, yeah. I thought it was really – um, really cool, to be honest with you, to see yourself on a card after collecting so many cards growing up. You know, that is and cool. seeing, you know, like the cards that I collected as basketball cards, they were a different shape. So they were mm. a little bit thinner and they were a little bit longer. So I have one of my father when he was playing for the Bullets. And okay. then, so to be able to, to, you know, have my father's card and be able to put my card next to it, I, I, I felt very fortunate to, to have that same experience of playing in the NBA. I wonder That's if you awesome. pass that pass that down to your son. Did your son collect your cards and play with you on the video game? 
Uh, I don't know if he plays with me on a video game. I, I, I couldn't tell you, but I hadn't seen that graphic, the one in the middle. But uh, this I've one, some, I've got some players on our Maryland team that have have said that uh, they, they've used me from time to time. So that kind of shocked me. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Yeah. Danny, what is your go-to meal at Waffle House? Go-to meal at Waffle House. Depends on what time it is. No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. One or two waffles, sausage, and a bowl of grits. Love it. There you go. That's real what, southern right there. Yeah. What was the name of your high school crush? High school crush? The basketball. <laughs> I love it. Spalding. Spalding. <laughs> it was no, it was Mikasa. We had those oh, basketballs that had those knobs on it. And so the you know, as a player, like I'm gonna dribble this basketball until it has no grip left and it's slick. So yeah, that was that was my crush. All right. Did you say, right. Ma- did you say Mikasa? Mikasa? I believe that was the name of it. I gotta Google this. All right, well, well well, no reason for the missus to be jealous. Dinner with Samuel L. Jackson or Morgan Freeman. Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, you're the first one to say him. I like it. I like it. I just think there'd be a little bit, you know, a little bit more. Um, Laughs. Fun. Yeah. There we go. Fun, fun, fun with the vocabulary. We, we, we have a few left here. Fart loudly every time you meet someone or have your mouth smell like garlic all the time. Say that again. Fart loudly every time you meet someone. Or have your mouth smell like garlic all the time. Oh, I gotta go with the garlic. <laughs> all right, all right. If you the got last, a mask on, you're good. <laughs> the last two here. Would you rather constantly be tired no matter how much you sleep, or constantly hungry no matter how much you eat? Well, I like to be constantly hungry because that means I'd probably be in a little bit better shape than I'm in now. But that's not <laughs> the case. I like to eat. All right. The last one here, and the, and the timing would have been better if we had done this in April. Your birthday is May 17th, and mine is May 19th. Would you ever consider having a combined birthday party? Oh, absolutely. We can do that. Yes. All right. May, <laughs> May, May, May 18th is when it will fall on. Danny, I, w- I wanted to I wanted to squeeze one in real quick, Doc. Um, so John Collins' first playoffs. I mean, I know that's your you know the, the guy that you coach. You saw the maturation go from freshman to sophomore year. Uh, Larry Peck, he's due for a uh, you know some generational wealth coming this summer. What's it feel like you know watching one of your former players just ball out in the playoffs? You know what? Um, I feel very fortunate. I feel proud. You know, it's you're a parent. You know, it's you're not the birth parent, but you know whenever. You're a mm. coach, and no matter what level that you're coaching at, you take on those players as your own. And so anytime you see one of your own having success and doing well, and and and, and he will get a, a generational wealth contract. I'm hoping for him that it's the max yeah. um, that he that can get. Look him but, way. You know, at, at the end of the day, he's still going to be able to put his family in a much better situation because of his hard work and dedication. That's and, very well said. And there's there are two teams that you have the most connection with with your playing career, the Suns and the Clippers, and they're now in the position that hey, they could they could cut down the nets. Uh, what, what are you feeling in these two franchises that you spent so much time with? It's uh, happy to see them have the success that they're having. Um, you know, for me, the the Clippers were the that was the team that drafted me. You yeah. Know? Um, and so going there at that point in time was. You know, you get drafted high. When I 
during my era and the team that you went to normally was a team that had struggled in the years past. And so being able to be a part of a Clipper organization to kind of turn the corner and get to a point of making the playoffs and being competitive night in and night out, excuse me, was something that I was very proud of. And then for me, the Suns, that was the first team that I got, you know what, I'm a free agent. This is where I want to go play. This is the owner I want to go play for in Jerry Colangelo, and, and this is the organization. And so for me, those two teams do hold a very special place uh, in my heart. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity I had to, to play for both. And wise words from Danny Manning. If you want to catch him on the socials, he's on Instagram and Twitter at Coach D Manning. Danny, before you leave, is there anything you want to plug to our audience, anything that you're working on, anywhere that they can find your highlights? No, 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 none of that. No, you know, my, my time now is spent trying to recruit young people to get them to come to Maryland and help our guys become the best people they can be and best basketball players as well. Well, make sure you catch Danny on the sidelines this season for the Terps. If Turgeon gets thrown out, which we hope he doesn't, we know that Danny's, we know that Danny's very yeah, I'll qualified. Take that for him. I'll cuss out the official so he can <laughs> the game. There you go. There you go. <laughs> 